This week on Grape Encounters Radio... Bob, is this something that had to be sold on you or <laughs> everybody's giggling over there? Was this something that had to be sold on you? And if it was, how do you feel now? Well, it did have to be sold to me. <laughs> the challenges that I saw really had to do with stuff that didn't even matter, as it turned out. So you were you were a little fussy at first. I was. I, I thought, well, <laughs> people are going to stay in these trailers out here? Come on. I had no idea what I was talking about. As it turned out, people seem to be lining up to stay in these trailers. Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And what would a grape encounter be without a great grape encounter? You know how much I love to get out on the road and explore and just find new things that you can pair with wine that go beyond cheese and food. Well, I am sitting in maybe the greatest expression of what a true grape encounter can be. We are at the Alta Colina Winery in Paso Robles. And this is not just any winery because this winery has essentially a trailer. I'm going to call it a trailer park. It's really the trailer pond. And it is a beautiful area nestled in this 100-plus acre vineyard. There's a pond here, but there are also several beautiful vintage trailers sitting here waiting for you to come and spend the night or maybe a handful of nights. It really is going to be an adventure of a lifetime for anybody that comes here. It's a brand new enterprise and put together by both Alta Colina Winery and then an operation called Tinker Tin, not far from from here, and they're restoring these amazing vintage trailers. I want to welcome my guests now. We have Jamie Holm, and she is from Tinkerton. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's nice to have you here. How many trailers are we looking at here on the property right now? So at the Trailer Pond at Alta Clina Winery, we have five vintage trailers that are available for you to come spend the night in. And how cool that they're called vintage trailers. And that really is what they're called, right? Yes, it is. They're all from the 1950s, early 60s are the ones here on the property. So they're just little time capsules of that period. I'd be really curious to know whether a bottle of wine from that year would be worth more than the trailer. <laughs> I don't really know. Also, with me today. It's Bob Tillman. He is the founder, owner, and winemaker here at Alta Kalina. And Maggie Tillman, your daughter, right? That's correct. Uh, thanks for having us. Oh, gosh, it's, it's so great to be here to finally get to meet you. And Maggie, your sales and marketing for the organization, this must be a great marketing tool. Oh, it's just going to be so much fun. We're really excited to provide a new way for everyone to experience the wines on the property. Well, I think it goes without being said that wineries are doing everything they possibly possibly can to expand the wine drinking experience. And sometimes when you go to a winery, it gets to be too much about things that some people really don't care as much about. They care about enjoying that wine and the whole feeling of being on the winery. Bob, you know, you take for granted, I'm sure, all the beauty that's around you here. But for somebody that's new and, you know, is a spectator, it's a completely different thing, don't you think? Yes, I do, actually. We've owned this property for 13 years and I can still remember the first time I 
I ever saw it. It's incredibly beautiful. It has kind of a spiritual quality to it, and I still feel that, actually, every day. So were there grapes on the property when you bought the property? No, it was just, uh, it's 130 acres nestled up on two mountains, kind of tucked back of beyond. It takes about a half a mile up a steep mountain to get here, uh, and we, we basically spent 18 months before we ever planted a vine. We had to get water in here and build a road up here and fence to keep the deer out and all those things. And, and you're sitting in one of the absolute best grape-growing areas, regions in the world. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, amazing to me that you actually found that much property to be able to plant. I think 13 years ago, yeah, did you tell me? 2003. Wow. We were very lucky to find this. We're sitting in the middle of the Adelaide district of the Paso Robles AVA, and indeed, one of the great places in the world to grow Rhone varieties. Yeah. And you guys have a reputation for doing it very, very well, but now you get this idea to put in, I want to call it a trailer park, but that conjures up images that don't really right. work it doesn't here. Fit. <laughs> no, it doesn't fit. I think trailer pond is probably the way to go. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to Jamie for a second. Jamie, tell me about the trailer that we're sitting in right now. It's a really cool day where, you know, winter's coming on pretty soon. So it's blustery outside, but it's really warm and cozy in here. Talk to me about what we're looking at. This this beautiful, beautiful trailer. So the trailer that we're sitting in today is a 1962 aristocrat. This trailer is actually the newest trailer that we own. So all the other trailers um, here at the pond are actually older than this one. But what we like to do at Tinkerton is when we find a trailer that's in good original condition, we like to maintain that condition and preserve it. But if we find a trailer that's in a little bit worse condition, we like to add our touch to it. So um, this trailer is probably one of the few campers that we have that we've, you know, dolled up with some funky paint and new wood floors. But all the other ones have the original marmoleum flooring and the countertops. And this one has the original appliances, icebox, little Dixie stove. So yeah, it's just a fun little timepiece. Well, I think one thing that is absolutely true about wine is wine is a, a real catalyst for nostalgia. You know, wine brings back memories like music does. And so, you know, when you sit in a trailer like this and I'm looking out the windows and the vines are on the hillside and the little pond right outside the door, you know, it really does take me back to another time and another place. Wine is really very special in that respect. It brings back memories of previous great times you've had and great meals with great people. And this particular environment, I think, lends itself tremendously to that. Yeah. Now, Maggie, as the marketing director here, how did you come upon this idea and how did you two meet? I'm going to turn it over to the both of you for a second and just explain to me how this partnership came about. Let's, we'll start explain with you. Explain why we're here. <laughs> you know, it really came about in a sort of wonderful and organic way. Jamie and I share a bunch of mutual friends. And months ago at this point, I think it was February or March, we were out to lunch and it was maybe five or six other women. Most of us either own our own businesses or, or were involved in small businesses. So we had the flexibility on a Wednesday afternoon to go eat a taco and have a beer at noon. <laughs> and just keeping it professional as That's always. That's where all good ideas happen. Exactly. <laughs> and... I had always known about Tinkerton. I had admired the trailers from afar and sort of seen whispers of them on the internet and that kind of stuff. And Jamie and I just happened to be at this same lunch. And one of the things that she was mentioning was an interest that her and Carl had had for a permanent campsite, a Tinkerton exclusive campsite. And, and the things she was describing in terms of what they were looking for, I kept thinking, well, we have that and we have that and we have that. Maybe there's something we could explore here. So we just stumbled upon it in a way that felt really organic and cool. And, and I 
our visions. I feel like we, we both sort of know where we're trying to go and it's working, which we're excited about. <laughs> it's a really it's, special connection, I think, and two unique businesses coming together. Absolutely. I think it's a perfect pairing and a perfect partnership. We'd looked at quite a few different wedding venues in the area and different wineries to partner up with to do a permanent trailer location. But when I came up here to the pond for the first time, I wasn't necessarily thinking of it to be a permanent campground for the trailers. But then after meeting Maggie and Bob and seeing the place and how Bob mentioned earlier, it has this kind of spiritual element to it. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking. And not only that, the way Maggie and Bob farm Alta Clina, it's farmed organically and sustainably. They're a father-daughter team. He's the winemaker. Um, they're very hands-on. And that is so much of what we loved and what we were looking for in partners for this new venture. Well, I remember back to my very first wine tasting trip just out of college, and I rented a motor home and then took off to the Napa and Sonoma Valleys. And after tearing a pretty good-sized gouge in one side of the motorhome and ripping the side-view mirror off the driver's side of the motorhome, I realized that it's fun to stay in a motorhome, but maybe not so fun to maneuver it and drive it around. So it seems like all the hard work is done. You show up, the trailer's there, you're ready to go. It's like having a yacht and having somebody bring it into port for you, and you get on board, so you take care of you know all the details. We have just a, a minute left, but can you just describe some of the equipment and things that are in here because it's equipped with you know like a full size stove and a vintage refrigerator and you know some interesting stuff. Tell me what I'm looking at. So in this 1962 Aristocrat, it has the original ice box and it has the original stove. We kept the propane lights that were original to the trailer. You can't light them that, <laughs> but we do have normal electricity in here. We have vintage games, books on vintage trailers as well, coffee makers, glasses for your wine. So kind of just a little bit of everything you would need for your camp out while also, you know, including beautiful views out the window. Oh, and the best part, the beds, they all have Tempur-Pedic mattresses. So all the beds are pretty cozy. Tempur-Pedic mattresses? Seriously? Yes, every single one. What's the point of uh, camping in a trailer if you don't sleep good? <laughs> well, I, that, I, I think that's camping in a trailer. And then right outside the door, you've got chaise lounges, you've got exquisite views, you've got the pond, and then there's a little deck out in the middle of the pond where you can sit and sunbathe. What a wonderful setup. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to hop over to another trailer during the break and after that, hightail it down to the tasting room and taste a little bit of wine. But I am so excited to bring you this experience at Alta Kalina Winery, Paso Robles, California. Not just because it's a great place for you to come, but it's a great example of what's to come in the wine industry. More and more wineries reaching out to find ways to keep you there, not to you know, have you stand in line, have your taste, buy your bottle and leave. It's a different relationship today between the winery and the wine consumer. And so hopefully by the end of this show, you'll not only seek out an opportunity here, but maybe opportunities other places where winemakers have gone to great lengths to make the connection between the wine and the humanity that creates the wine. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. In wine, there is truth and sulfites and occasionally a few insect parts. You learn something every day on Grape Encounters Radio. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Trailers for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Hang 
got no cigarettes. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And now I can honestly tell you that I am doing my first Grape Encounter in bed. <laughs> Hey, we're out at Alta Kalina Winery in Paso Robles, California. They are doing one of the most wonderful grape encounters here. It's something I haven't seen before. Wanted to talk about it. I said I'm in bed. Well, I'm in bed in a vintage trailer right here on the vineyard at what they're calling the Trailer Pond. Throughout the year in 2017, I'm sure we will go on many grape encounters that take you out of the tasting room and give you a chance to interact more with the winery and to enjoy wine in a very different way. This has been a really huge trend in the wine industry. And a couple of people that are helping to do this are Maggie and Bob Tillman of Alta Kalina Winery. And Bob, is this something that had to be sold on you or... <laughs> Everybody's giggling over there. Was this something that had to be sold on you? And if it was, how do you feel now? Well, it did have to be sold to me. <laughs> the challenges that I saw really had to do with stuff that didn't even matter. As it turned out, Maggie and Jamie and Carl have done all the work to get this set up here and get all the trailers in and get them going. I'm thinking, what was my problem? I don't get it. But yeah. So you were you were a little fussy at first. I was. I, I thought, well, <laughs> people are going to stay in these trailers out here? Come on. I had no idea what I was talking about, as it turned out. People seem to be lining up to stay in these trailers. So oh, fantastic. it's amazing. Now, you really haven't. This is a soft launch right now. Is that correct? And I want to turn it over to Jamie for a second. Jamie Holm. And she and her husband run Tinkerton. And this is an organization that has not just trailers like this where you could stay. You know, let's talk about the scope of your other trailers because you're doing some really cool things with other trailers serving different purposes. Can you kind of just give us a rundown on some of the other, you know, really cool vintage trailers and what they do? Absolutely. So at Tinker 10 Trailer Company, we have a fleet of a little over 30 vintage trailers that, yeah, <laughs> I know it's a lot. It keeps me busy. keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Everything ranging from vintage campers, like you see here, set up at Alta Kalina. But also we have a collection of vintage trailer bars, vintage vending trailers. We have a couple vintage trailer photo booths where you can actually enter the trailer from the 1950s and there's touchscreen monitors and it prints out the little photo strips just like at a carnival. And wow, then, that's cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun one too. And then we have a handful of trailers from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s that are used in Hollywood for film sets and production. Wow. When I heard about what you guys were doing here, I just said, this is a story I got to cover because it's just so in keeping with the whole Grape Encounters mindset. You know, it's not about everything being gold plated and knowing which fork to use and all that. It's about having fun and wine should be the catalyst for that fun. And I love the idea of just coming out here in blue jeans and wearing your comfy clothes and you can, I guess, take off and do walks and, and How's that work, Maggie? Because there's a lot of property to explore, right? Absolutely. We own a total of 130 acres, and 40 of those acres are fenced and covered with vines. So uh, we encourage people to explore the property. They're welcome to venture beyond the fence line if they dare. There's poison oak and that sort of thing out there. Although one of the things we're most excited about is for people to come enjoy a bottle of Alta Colina wine and not just drink it in a hermetically sealed room, but to really feel the dirt, sort of have breathe in the fresh air and see exactly the plants where that wine is grown. We are very much in the camp of
of growing wine rather than making wine. I think you make a really good point that, you know, you get to commune. I mean, really commune with the place, you know, where the wine was made. And I I really do believe that the more you understand about a winery, the more you get to know the winemakers and just everything associated with that wine, the more you discover the spirit of the wine. Because I do think that, you know, we talk a lot about terroir, but I think terroir goes much further than just the ground and the climate and things like that. Properties have an attitude and a way that they're maintained. And I think that very much finds its way in the bottle. Bob, you agree? I do, actually. I've, I've felt that way since the first time I ever saw this place. As we mentioned earlier, we farm it organically. All these vines are in touch with the owners, essentially. We work them year-round, and when the fruit's ready to go, it stays on the property. We take it down to the winery and turn it into wine and store it in barrels there for years. So by the time someone actually purchases an Altaclina bottle, which uh, they pretty much have to come to our tasting room to do, we've worked on that fruit and that wine for about five years or so. So 13 years ago, you founded the property and the winery. What were you doing before that? Well, I'm an escapee from the, the high-tech world. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I there's, a, there's a bunch of those out yeah, there, aren't there? there there's are, a bunch of people are. who got out of high-tech and went into one of the most low-tech businesses, which is quickly becoming a high-tech business. It's, well, it's migrating that way, although yeah. it's still pretty low-tech. It's still pretty basic. It's uh, converting sunshine into wine, as they say. And Maggie, what did you think when Dad decided he was going to build a winery? Were you all supportive of that? And what were you doing? Absolutely. My siblings and I, we feel like we all saw it coming because Bob's always been a really enthusiastic wine drinker, of course, and he's made wine at home often on in the garage always while we were growing up. So it was around, it was part of the conversation. It drove lots of his free time and travel and that sort of stuff. So we saw it coming from a mile away. So do you think that this project with Tinkerton is going to be the catalyst for more adventure here on the Alta Colina estate? I bet you've been talking about other stuff and I'll bet you're not going to tell me. Well, how's that? How's that? For I mean, a, a wild guess. <laughs> You're close. Your guess might be correct there. We, we've got some extensions in the works of some cool add-ons and that sort of thing. Yeah. And for now, we're we're really focused on just getting the word out about the trailer pond and about sort of the Tinkerton Alta Colina collaborative experience here on Alta Colina Vineyard. It's a really magical place. We're really excited for people to come and check it out and share and have their own experience. Do you guys spend any time looking in the trades at what other wineries are doing around America? And have you come across some interesting things that you thought, hey, that'd be a cool thing to do here? Always. It's one of the nice things with wine is it? it's not just about we grow grapes, turn it into wine, sell. It's it's really an experience-driven enterprise and business. And I think as a result of that, a lot of times wineries come up with incredibly creative and cool ways to make that connection for their members and customers. And that's certainly what we're trying to achieve I here. Think I think it's probably the two biggest shifts I think in the wine industry, that I think is the first one, creating more of a, a wine experience, not just wine tasting. The other one to me actually is wine blending and the fact that we're seeing more and more wines being blended than we ever saw before. And in fact, it seems like the blends even bring a higher price. I personally think there's been blending going on all along, but just well, never yeah. admitted to. It's now more politically correct, I guess, to admit that you've been blending. And we are, of course, a Rhone producer where it has always been a primary to those wines to blend them. We do that. When we work in the tasting room, I'm, it's kind of odd. I work the tasting room quite a bit, and I realize
realize that every once in a while I'm pouring somebody a wine that has not been blended, and I'm almost apologetic about it. (laughs) Jamie, let's just for a second talk about people who might want to get in on this adventure. What do they do? Is there an easy way to connect with you guys? And I know things are going to really kick into full steam in spring, but if somebody wanted to make a reservation now, they could, right? Yes, they can start reserving now. If you go to our website, Tinkerton.com, there's a link that says the trailer pond, and you can click on that to learn more and then also click on that and it'll direct you to booking. And if anyone has any questions about the pond and what their that experience entails, they can email us at info at tinkerton.com as well. Or you can just go to the Grape Encounters website because this show will be posted there and that information will be there for an eternity as well. We're going to continue this discussion at Alta Kalina and uh, we're going to head now down to the tasting room. So listen to these important messages. They are important because they keep our show on the air and they're really, really good businesses. So give a listen. We're going to get in the truck and we're going to hightail it down there and we'll be back with more Grape Encounters from Alta Colina Winery in Paso Robles, California and the Trailer Pond. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Yes, it all depends on how you drink the wine. When I turn to the bottle, heartache is all I find. Some people get happy, but I just keep on crying. Yes, it all record time down from the trailer pond at Alta Kalina Winery into the barrel room. You'll probably notice the echo here now and still have with me Maggie and Bob Tillman, but now joined by the mom of the family, Lynn Tillman. And welcome, Lynn. Well, thank you. You are the wine mom. I am the wine mom. I think you told me off mic that these two do the business end of things, right? They do most all the work. Please yes. tell me your job is quality control. <laughs> huh? They do know my opinions. Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we're down in the barrel room right now. We've got a spread here. They've brought in some local food from a, a favorite restaurant of mine, the Hatch in Paso Robles. And now this is the kind of food that we would actually be able to get in the trailer, right? This is the perfect style of food for a night on the pond. It's casual. It is delicious. It's hearty. So I can actually either have food delivered or I could pick food up and then bring it over to the trailer. And then you've got a communal kitchen there as well. We do, absolutely. One of the pieces of the trailer pond that we're most excited about is that community piece. There's five trailers on site. We can bring in a sixth for a large group, and we hope that you show up at the trailers, you meet your neighbors, you spend a fun weekend with them here and there, and you go home feeling like friends, and the communal kitchen is is part of that. It's just going to be fabulous. For pond guests, you know, obviously there's going to be an incredible source for amazing wines. You'll be drinking those wines where they're really made in the vineyard, and you can bribe an Uber driver, call Meal Club, or pop into town to pick up some really fabulous takeout, or of course, go into town and have a full meal at any of our fine dining establishments. I'm going to jump over to Bob for a second, because Bob, when I hear the term food wine, I take that to mean that this wine is a meal substitute. <laughs> it's a food wine. <laughs> Your wines, okay, let's talk about them, because you're a Rhone guy, and you know we're sitting here pairing them with food, and I'm enjoying them that way, but I could tell you that there, uh, how many bottles we get here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're trying to kill me. Nine <laughs> bottles of wine. Yeah, we got everything out We're for you. Sick. 
wow. And they're all Rhones, right? They're all Rhones. That's right. And most of these wines, I think, stand on their own merits. I think these wines are great for sipping, and you don't necessarily need a meal to go with them. Would you agree with that? I do. I do. That's one of the beauties of Rhone wines is that if at a relatively young age, these guys have seen anywhere from one to two years of bottle age at this point. Uh, they're quite approachable. The uh, the tannins are in control. They have that kind of rich, uh, ripe softness on the finish. You could set and sip them, or they go great with a meal. I snuck in actually four tastes between the commercials and when Maggie and Mom were talking. So now I'm on this one here. Now, what is this that you poured me? Because this is spectacular. This is 100% Syrah. We call it Keystone Syrah. Why Keystone? Uh, it uh, Well, it's a long story, really. <laughs> um, we don't have time for a long yeah, story. I'll make okay. it quick. This wine is American Oak, 100% new American Oak. And the first year we ever made it, we purchased the oak from Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Thus, Keystone Syrah. Mm, makes some sense. That's a beautiful wine. It is. It's fantastic. It's, it's one of the more oaked wines we make, obviously. But for those who enjoy oak on their wine, this baby delivers and it has that tremendous fruit lurking beneath the oak. This is very young. It's a, a 2013, so four or five years from now, this will be unbelievably good. Let's talk about the Rhone varietals for a second, because I've been preaching loud and long now that Rhone is really, it seems, where it's at right now in American wine drinking. The Rhone varietals are getting more and more and more attention, especially when it comes to blends. The GSM, Grenache Syrah, Moved, or some people say Movedra. What do you say, by the way? I say Moved. I say Moved too. It just sounds, I don't know, I feel more sophisticated when I say Moved. <laughs> I do not need that last syllable. Yes, uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. You got it. Yeah. Anyway, the Rhone varietals are getting a lot of attention right now. And so we're talking about, now you make how many different varietals here? I have four reds and four whites. So you've got Marsan, Roussan. Viognier and Grenache Blanc in, in the whites. And okay. Then, and the reds are a Grenache, Syrah, Morved, and Petit Syrah. A finicky little wine, that Petit Syrah. It is finicky. It, I think it's highly site-dependent, and we happen to have a magical site. You haven't tasted it yet. Do you see acceleration of sales in your Rhone wines and also in just talking to your buddies in the business? Are you seeing an increase in Rhone sales? Because it seems to me that that's where the action is right now. Well, I can only speak for myself. And yes, we are seeing a good growth in our sales. And more and more, the people that come into our tasting room understand Rhone's. They, they know about blends. They appreciate the differences that occur and they like them. And Rhone wines, I'm just going to say this to my listeners, okay? And it's our little secret. Rhone wines are not as pretentious as Bordeaux wines. <laughs> They're not. I mean, think of it. Rhone, Bordeaux. Okay? Which sounds more pretentious? Let's try it one more time. Rhone, Bordeaux. Okay? You can see with that illustration that Bordeaux is definitely more pretentious. Am I right? <laughs> Well, I, I'm not sure that that's a, a totally that was, uh, that was totally complete sci- proof. That was totally scientific. <laughs> Listen, this, the stories that are taken for truth on the internet these days, you know, Rhone Bordeaux, I think I've got this right. Anyway, but I think the people are really enjoying them. And I think Grenache and Syrah are two wines that express themselves in many different ways. Vignet, another wine that has a lot of different alter egos. And, you know, we were talking about Petite Syrah. Man, do that wine right and do it all the time. It's just such a great wine. And then within this family, blending all the brothers and sisters really works. There are almost endless possibilities in the combinations of these wines. There is, absolutely. A couple of the wines that you tasted were blends of Grenache, Syrah, and Moved. One of them was heavy Grenache, one was heavy Moved. Completely different wines, both completely delicious. Yeah. Well, I got one more to go. Hey, okay. So let me have a little bit of the Petite Syrah. I want to hand it now uh, back over to Maggie for a second, because Maggie, we are out of time. But 
but we do want people to be able to discover the trailers and the wines here at Alta Colina. And we're here, by the way, and I, and I want to say this, sometimes we get uh, accused a little bit of being a little too focused on California. Well, 90% of the domestically consumed wine comes from California, so there's a lot going on here. But, you know, I like to pay close attention to wineries that have something going on that is more than just making great wines, because there is so much that can happen on that vineyard property. And this winery is a great example of this, taking vintage trailers, creating great food and wine experiences that you'll never again have in your life unless you come back here. So for those who would want to come, give us the details. Absolutely. We hope everybody's able to come and have that really unique, singular Alta Colina trailer pond experience. You're never going to fit all of our listeners in those trailers. I mean, there's 365 days a year. We've got up to six trailers. We got this. It's no problem. Okay. There'll be some bunking going on. Okay. Uh, But anyway. So the best way to get in touch with us is through our many online outlets, or we also have a phone. So you visit our website, which is altacolinawine.com. There is information on the visit page there about our various tasting options, tasting in the tasting room, in the barrel room, on the vineyard, as well as staying in the trailers. You can also reach us through social media. We have a Facebook page as well as an Instagram account. Both of those are just at Alta Colina. You can also tweet us if you want to. If you have something to, fun to say or you tried a bottle or you just want to say hey, we'll wink back and it'll go great. You know, in the eight years that I've done this show, you're the first person to say, just tweet us and say hey. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, the thing we love about wine is it's it's not really about the wine. It's really about the people. And Thank you for saying that because that is the point of this radio show. As wonderful and beautiful as wine is, wine is the foundation for many, many lovely things. And, and you guys are a great example of exactly what we're trying to express. Well, thank so you. Congratulations for your special program. And Bob, I've been through all of the wines now. Guess what my favorite was? The Keystone Syrah. The Petite Syrah. Uh-huh. The Petite Syrah. I, didn't, I thought you hadn't actually got to it uh, yet, or no. I would have. You know what? I wanted it to be my favorite, you know, because so much Petite Syrah gets really screwed up. It's just too big. I think this Petite Syrah, it's not petite, but it's not overwhelming either. It's awesome. This wine, year in and year out, it's like, I don't know, blessings from heaven. Those grapes are in the right spot, and they just make this wine without any work. Two bottle limit. Wow. So a half an acre doesn't yield very much. Okay. Well, this is a great wine. All the wines, really solid wine. Great property, nice people, wonderful trailers. Doesn't get any better than that. Call, book a trailer. And even if you don't do that, let this be the inspiration for other adventures that are out there. Dig deep. And we'll always try to tell you about other adventures like this that will make your wine experience even better. But wine is not meant to be consumed under fluorescent lights. Wine is meant to be consumed under moonlight or sunshine or something natural and beautiful. And that should be your takeaway from this show. We're all in agreement. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Bob, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for making great wine. Maggie, really nice having you here. Thank you so much. I know there's a lot more to come from you. And then mom, you keep them going strong, That's right? That's right. I just keep after them and they just keep working. Gotta love family wineries. There are no rules. You just sit around, you drink the beautiful wine that you make, and you get creative with it. That's going to do it from Alta Kalina. Appreciate you guys being on. Coming up next, I got a little surprise for you. I've got a winemaker coming in who is going to talk to us about a type of winemaking that we really don't do here in the United States, but it tends to be one of my absolute favorite styles of wine. That coming up next on Grape Encounters. Yes, it all depends on how you drink the wine. 
And now from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California, here's David Wilson. Stop, stop them grapes and make bad wine. Put it in a bottle, boys, and ship it on down the line. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And now I have a special treat for you because the person who is with me right now has, for the past few years, made a very special treat for me. I like to think that he does it just for me. That's not the fact at all. There is a wine that he makes that I absolutely go crazy for. I would do almost anything to get my hands on a bottle of this wine. They don't make very much of it. And what's so beautiful about this wine is, let's just call it an American-made twist on the Amarone wines that come out of Italy that I have talked about many times on the show. But there's so much to tell you about this that I better just jump in. We have Michael Barreto, and he's the head winemaker for La Vignette Winery, which is in Paso Robles, California. And he is the renaissance man when it comes to making wines. You will oftentimes see him stomping away with his own feet to make special wines like his Amarone. Yes. Let's start with Amarone as the rest of the world knows it and what that is. I think very few people actually are familiar with this wine. You have your own twist on it, and I hope more people will head down this road as time goes on. Okay. Uh, So um, Amarone traditionally comes from northern Italy and is a style of producing wine. The way that it happens is they pick the grapes and dehydrate them before they make the wine. The traditional story behind it was harvest in Italy was so busy, the grapes would all get ripe at the same time. They would pick the white grapes and the red grapes at the same time, and they would store the red grapes up at the attic until they were done making the white wines, and then they'd pull the red grapes down and make red wine. That's the history or tradition behind it. So what happens then when you're making wine with grapes that have been picked and dehydrated for a period of time, the juice that is in the berries becomes more concentrated. Yeah, obviously, yeah. So you end up with a very concentrated wine. So differentiate between those grapes, though, and a raisin, because it's not the same thing, right? Or is it? It's similar. It depends on when they're they're picked. And so um, the Amarone stuff is picked earlier in the ripening curve so that you end up with flavors that are more earthy. A raisin, you're going leave on the vine longer to where it achieves really ripe flavor and then you pull it down so you end up with that really sweet raisiny character right like with raisins you're dehydrating to where your moisture is very low uh, when you're making Amarone wines, you're uh, you're dehydrating them, but only to the point where there's still juice in the in the berry. Right. So you're not adding juice to it. So there's nothing else added back. No, no. Okay. You could though, right? You could, yes. Because I've heard of that being done. That's uh, Ripasso, and that is R- Ripasso. Taking... Okay, so that's the difference between Ripasso and Amarone. Is yes. With Ripasso, they're adding back juice. Right. But with the Amarone, they're not doing that. Correct. correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your high-end Amarones, anything like seventy dollars and over, is all hand-stemmed and. And, you know, first time through, we're, I hate to say that under $75 is a lower priced bottle of wine, but that's mechanically destemmed and it's very labor intensive. The first year we did it, we did hand destemming and that was very, very time, time wow. consuming. So the red grapes, okay, 
that are used, that are legal, let's say, in Italy for Amarone, is there a restriction on what can be used in an Amarone? Or- like most of Europe, there are okay, traditional yeah. varieties that are allowed. Corvina is the uh, primary grape variety. Right. And there's, I think, three to five others which are... And, and Corvina, used. very popular as a single varietal wine as well. Yes. In Italy, anyway. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're talking to Michael Barretto. He is the head winemaker at La Vignette, a wonderful winery on the central coast of California. And by the way, it's spelled, in case you want to check them out online, it's L-E-V-I-G-N-E, La Vignette Winery. And Michael is making some really world-class wines there. And, you know, taking winemaking in the new world in California into directions that it's not used to going. And his Amarone is one example of that. Instead of using the Corvina grape, you're using Rhone varietals instead. So take me through the process of making your wines and tell me also, do you think that more people will be doing this as time goes on? It's labor intensive. And if it's a style that they like, I'm sure that they would adopt it. My first year making it, I actually used Zinfandel as an experiment. I liked the style, and I figured that Zinfandel would make a very nice, fruity, concentrated wine. So that's what I went after. And I had trays in the shop and heaters and really went after it as traditionally as I could. Zinfandel fell apart or desiccated really quickly. And so um, I ended up only making a 15-gallon barrel that year, 2010. And so I actually, we bottled it, and at our Zinfest dinner, 2011, I think I brought it out and said, hey, I'm making a wine in this style that we're going to be able to buy in a couple years, but you're only going to be able to taste it tonight. People really enjoyed it. It made a nice wine, but yeah, the mold and the rot that occurred on the Zinfandel really didn't work. So in 2011, I switched from Zinfandel to Syrah. And Syrah, with its thicker skin, allowed it to sit and dehydrate longer without falling apart and just a heartier grape. So when you dehydrate it down, how much juice is left in the berry? Are we talking about 50%? Normally, when you're pressing a ton of grapes, you'll get 160-ish gallons per ton. Yeah. And on the dehydrated stuff, we're getting about 100 gallons a ton. Okay, so you're not dehydrating it down more than about 30%, maybe, something like that? Yeah, yeah. when we bring them into the winery, they, they look like little golf balls, all dimpled in. I typically pick them at 21 and a half, 22 bricks. It's difficult because you don't want to pull any green flavors. The Syrah, I'm tasting it all the time to where it gets that kind of fresh berry flavor to it, meaning like blueberry kind of flavors. And then we, we pick and put it down. We'll leave it till it dehydrates to about 28 to 30 bricks. And that's just water that's leaving through the skins. So we have more sugar by volume in these grapes. And it's going to have a lot more viscosity, correct? Yes. Uh, it's a thicker juice. Uh, like right when we crush it, you start stomping it. I mean, the color is very intense. It's a massive juice. We got about a half a minute left, and we've totally missed the most important part, which is that you actually get in and you stomp the grapes yourself. This is your project, and you use this for stress relief? Stress relief, yeah. It's a great wow. way to kind of relax at the end of a hard day of uh, making wine. That's really physical labor, though, isn't it? The first day, for sure. You start on a pile or mound of grapes. And then by day six, it's a nice, warm kind of spa that you're walking around in. That's an interesting point is that the, these grapes are very warm. They're fermenting. Yeah. So the first day, Well, the first day they come in cold. Yeah, they're yeah, cold. And yeah. so you kind of, ooh, ow, that's cold, that's cold. And then, you know, as fermentation starts, they end up about 90, 95 degrees. Michael, it's a heck of a way to light a fire. <laughs> But it's definitely one of those five wines that if I could drink just a few wines for the rest of my life, it would be on the list. And Michael, frankly, I would drink your Amarone in lieu of an Italian Amarone any day of the week. 
Glad to hear well, that for a compliment. Yeah, appreciate that. All right, my thanks to my guest, Michael Barreto, the chief winemaker at La Vignée Winery. Just Google them. It's L-E-V-I-G-N-E. And if you can't find them or you want more information, just drop me a line at grapeencounters.com. And I'll see you back here next week. 